In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I look at the readings for the day, because um, a lot of times I serve as a reader, and I think it's like a word puzzle. How do these things fit together, you know? Um, and what were they thinking when they assigned them to today together? But actually today, that's not true. As I went through the readings, after Father Greg asked me if I would be willing to give the homily sometime this summer, and I looked at the readings on this day, and I thought, oh, they kind of hang together. There's a theme here. And the theme is wisdom. Now, wisdom is really of interest to me personally. I was, I, I was trying to remember, probably 24, I think, when I heard somebody say, or read somewhere, I don't know. I remember we were living in Oregon at the time. Um, that the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, put together by Solomon, who we'll talk about in a minute, uh, isn't it interesting how it has 31 chapters? So there's one for every month, of day of the month. And if you read Proverbs 1, Proverbs 1 gives you promises about those who will study uh, wisdom and the wisdom literature. And I thought, knowing myself as I was beginning to know myself, I'd been married for couple of three years by that time, the wonderful mirror marriage, um, I thought, I, <laughs> I really need wisdom because I was lacking in it. And so I thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start reading a chapter a day in Proverbs, just whatever day of the month it is, I'm going to read that. And I remember when I started doing it, honestly, it did, <laughs> I thought, this is a weird book. It seemed very choppy. It seemed, some of it, very puzzling. Uh, but I persevered because I'm stubborn like that. And so now I've been doing it for like over 40 years. Um, and I've, somewhere along there, I added in psalms every day because I really want to be wise. Well, Solomon also, this was a concern of his heart. As we heard in the scripture reading tonight, he's um, after a political kerfuffle that I won't go through at this point, he bested his brother Absalom to become David's heir. And the, all the promises for David's greater son, you know, now are coming down the family line. And Solomon, um, although we didn't have, there's no um, temple built yet, Solomon is the one who's going to build a house for himself and his new foreign wife, and then a house for the Lord, a house of worship. But at this point, he was worshiping in a high place, um, which later on, that came to... Um, really have bad connotations at this point it seems to be not so bad so he was sacrificing making offering um, but he he had a divided heart already at this point and we hear that but God established him God didn't leave him to flounder and so God appears to him in a dream one night when he's worshiping and he says um, he engages him in conversation notice what God says to him God says what do you want I mean, this is like echoed by Jesus in Mark 10, where he says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? You know, the God of the universe appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? I want you to ponder this. That's one of your takeaways, I hope, from tonight, that God asks us that. He invites us into this stewardship of our lives and ourselves, invites us into a co-creation. And it's one of the vocares, one of the calls, our vocation, is, is God inviting us into what do you want and asking us that. And as we petition him for whatever we petition him for, 
the, it clarifies our own hearts, our desires, it clarifies his calling on our life. Um, and this is the beginning of wisdom. Well, Solomon, so God says to Solomon, what do you, what do you want? And Solomon answers without greed. He doesn't say my people, he says God's people. He knows who's, who's he's, who he is addressing because he starts off by um, saying, because of your steadfast love, because of your chesed, because, and that's such a powerful word, the overarching, unrelenting love of God. And so Solomon is addressing God as he knows him, as full of this steadfast love, this loving kindness. Um, and so he says, um, what, you know, what do I want? I'm, I'm a little child. I mean, he's just gotten done wiping up all his father's political enemies that were left, but maybe that brought him to a realization of how young he was and what he didn't know. And so he asked for a discerning heart to rule God's people. Um, discernment is a huge component of wisdom. Hebrews 5, the end of the chapter, tells us that discernment comes with maturity and that it is the ability to distinguish between good and evil. So here Solomon is asking for wisdom, for discernment, for understanding, understanding how reality works, understanding what good is, understanding what true is, understanding what evil is. And that's what wisdom is. It's knowledge, it's applied knowledge. Um, and he asked for a heart, and this, and this notion of heart isn't just emotions like we use heart as though it's, it's all feeling, but not here. In this case, it includes mind, and it includes will, and then, and then the emotion to, comes into it, into action. And so Solomon says, I need the right understanding of how things work so I can do this job you've given, him, given to me for your people because I know of your loving kindness. And God likes Solomon's answer. And so he says, yes, I will give you this. And you know you know the rest of the story. It's the wisest man that ever lived. But God says, I'm also gonna give you a glorious reign. And if you walk in the ways your father did, David, I'll give you a long life. You know, so it's like, you get the whole deal. Psalm 111 continues this theme. Um, I'm just going to jump to the very end of it, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, and those who practice this fear, this reverence of the Lord, have good understanding. Notice here that wisdom, this, this human capacity that we have, wisdom is developmental. It grows. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of it, and then it goes from there. We mature in wisdom. So sometimes you see people do really foolish things. Foolishness is not necessarily sin. Sometimes it's just young, you know? So sometimes what we need to pray for that person is that they'll grow, not that necessarily that they'll repent. Now, if we persist in our foolishness and refuse to learn and grow, then, then we're edging into sin here. Um, but being young and unwise isn't a sin in and of itself. It's just being young and unwise. Um, and ignorant. But we grow because that's what God intends for us. That's the natural progression of things here. Um, so 
and, and, and we get wisdom from God, obviously. I mean, the Proverbs are like full of that, the wisdom literature that, that Solomon compiled for us. Um, Proverbs 3.32 says, the Lord takes the righteous into his confidence. And that's where we get wisdom from. We get it from him. And he takes us into his confidence. It's what um, Jesus says in John 15 where he says, I've called you friends because I've told you what the Father told me. So a life of wisdom is a life where God takes us. He befriends us. It's a life of, of friendship with God, of studying him, of studying his creation, and of gaining an understanding and a discernment about things. Um, which, so, and, and where this comes from, of course, for us as followers of the Lord Jesus is because um, we're taken into the life of the Trinity. Now, when we join our spirits with him, Paul tells us, we become one with him in spirit. Uh, John 14, John tells us that the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come and make their home in us. And so now we grow in wisdom because we are invited into the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we begin to know and participate uh, in their conversation, in their truth, in their relationship, and we grow in wisdom. And Ephesians 5 talks about this. It makes it pretty clear. Ephesians 5, um, 15 to 20 was our passage for tonight. It teaches us that this wise walking, this wise living, results from being children of light. It results from being beloved children of God. So we're told to walk as wise people, not fools, and to redeem the time because the days are evil, we're told. Um, we need to use our time well and make the best of the time we've been given because the days are evil. I, when I was thinking about this this week, I thought, you know, pick a headline, any head, headline, you know, from the last month. We don't need a whole lot of um, persuasion to understand that the days are evil and that we need wisdom in knowing how to live in this time in this culture, wisdom in knowing how to make good decisions. And, um, and to actively oppose evil the evil that the days contain. You know, after the fall, we're all gonna live in an evil world here. And I also think it's important for us because part of redeeming the time isn't gonna, I mean, we have an enemy, right? And so to redeem the time because the days of evil, sometimes it's gonna look really countercultural. It's gonna look like, I mean, if, the, if our culture approves of the church, we're doing something wrong. No, because the days are evil. Um, so, anyway, back to the text. I got a slice, rabbit trail. Um, here's the understanding that comes from wisdom again. Uh, we can know what the will of the Lord is. That's, that's what Ephesians um, 5 is telling us. Um, in Ephesians, in verse 15, Paul gets real practical. Talk about practical wisdom here, and very specific. Uh, one of our human tendencies in response to the evil days is to get drunk or to get high or to, in some other way, numb ourselves from 
the suffering of this existence from, from the things that happen to us and our responses to the things that happen to us. So Paul says here in Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Um, etymologically speaking, debauchery has the root word in Bacchus, who Dionysius, you know, the god of wine and revelry, um, he's the one we know with the top of him as man and the bottom of his goat, and there are, you know, dancing girls and grapevines all around him when you see him in, in the pictures. Um, and folks who worshipped uh, Bacchus, Dionysius, uh, thought that when they drank and got drunk, they were drinking their god, and that then the, the way they acted were, was living under the influence of their god. But inebriation is not the same as inspiration. <laughs> Just be clear on this. So, um, so Paul says two things, one negative, one positive. The negative thing is wisdom, practically speaking, don't get drunk. Don't live your lives under the influence of alcohol. Now, alcohol is an interesting substance because, um, well, the first thing it does, oh, this is another parenthesis here. First thing it does is it takes away your anxiety. So one or two drinks, all it does is take away your anxiety. Um, and so that's interesting to ponder how people act when they've had a couple drinks because that's the way they are without anxiety. Um, works on the GABA system. But um, the other thing it does is it really affects our preorbital uh, frontal cortex here. And this is where uh, our, our abilities to make decisions, where executive functioning lives, where our abilities to make decisions, our ability to have self-control, um, our ability to live a balanced life. And, and physiologically, um, alcohol also is a depressant. And so we get very depressed as we drink alcohol. And, and if we get drunk, which is what we're not supposed to do, um, it, we stagger, right? We stagger under the influence of it. So what Paul is saying here is, don't be under the influence of spirits, of alcohol, whatever, put in your favorite substance of choice. Rather, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be energized, be filled with the dunamis, the dynamite power that God provides for you. And get your energy, get your comfort, get all of what you need there from that. Um, we're to be possessed and filled with him. Remember the day of Pentecost when people were filled with the Holy Spirit and everybody thought they were drunk, you know? <laughs> they were staggering under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, People notice when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, is not some mysterious thing. It is, human beings are receptacles. We are made to be filled with something, okay? We are going to be filled with something. The thing is, we get to choose what's gonna fill us. And so, the be filled with the Holy Spirit is like passive, present, imperative, tense. It's just be filled. That, it's that simple. It's I choose you, Holy Spirit, fill me. Because he's always pouring himself out to fill us. It's ongoing. It's progressive, you know, like our sanctification. Um, and, and we didn't read this next verse tonight, but it says, be filled and sing. 
you know? So we're to sing in the spirit, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The church is a singing people. Augustine said, um, the person who sings prays twice. And we know that here at ACE. We're a, a young church, and yet one of our paid staff has always been someone who's responsible for our singing, for our music. And Sarah just does such a great job of helping us fulfill this, being filled with the Holy Spirit and um, singing. So the, it, this passage in Paul here says, sing in the Spirit, giving thanks to God in the name of the Son. And I'll, I mean, I love it. Don't you love the little Trinitarian nuggets that, you know, get scattered through the New Testament? That's one of my favorites. But um, so what, what about this phrase, in the name of the Son? What does that have to do with wise living? Okay. So that brings us then to John 6, which is uh, the passage we've been looking at for at least, I think, three weeks. And I think we are looking at it next week as well. Uh, so this is important because Jesus repeats this, I'm the bread of life, again, no? And we've landed on it. Now remember, um, Father Greg told us last week, uh, kind of really unpacked this for us, how earlier in the chapter Jesus had said, the, fed the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes, and the people started following him because they liked the loaves and fishes and the free bread, and um, he uh, avoids the crowd. He sends the disciples off against, across the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm. He comes to them um, walking on water, which freaks him out. He calms them down and gets in the boat, and bam, they're on the other side of the lake. You know, it's like count the miracles. How many miracles do we need to prove he's the Messiah and the Son of God, right? Um, but then he says again, we pick this up this week in verse 50, where Jesus says again to the crowd who's found them the next day. They've gone looking for him because free bread. You know? um, he, uh, he says to them, I'm the bread of life, which they're really, at this point, still pretty clueless. Um, although it's important because Jesus says it again. Like When he says something again and again and again, we need to pay attention. He knows we need to be filled. He knows we're hungry. He knows we're hungry on multiple levels. I mean, it's part of the Lord's Prayer, right? When he taught us to pray, we ask for our daily bread. But we also, he's here he's saying, it's not just your daily bread, but the bread that you need for eternal life. Um, this is, again, something worth pondering. What is it that you need right now? And have you asked him? You know, like Solomon asked for what he'd need. What do you need from the bread of life who gives you eternal life? So Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You know, Jesus was born, I mean, I love the layers. The, the, the scripture is such a, a masterpiece of art and, and tapestry. I love the things God hides for us to trip over in his creation. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means city of bread, house of bread, right? So he was born in the house of bread. The first place he was laid was a feeding trough. So they put him on a plate, you know, born in the house of bread, put him on a plate. <laughs> and now he's saying, I'm the bread of life, right? He wants us to get it. He wants us to know this about him. Um, he's the living bread. 
And he says, though, then, and here's where he loses them. I want you to know this passage is like the hinge point in the book of John. If you read the book of John, up until this point, he's got followers, he's got throngs, he's doing miracles, people are chasing him around. At this point is when he starts to lose followers. You know, This is a dividing line right here, right here in this passage. Because he says, my body is true food. My body is true, true drink. It's like, eat me. Drink me. I will come and abide in you. I will give you eternal life, living life. Now, obviously, this is pre-crucifixion. This is pre-Last Supper. This is pre-crucifixion. This is pre-resurrection. This is like, so it's a, it's a, he's telling them something beyond their understanding, but he's inviting them to have faith. He's saying, you've seen what I can do. Now listen to what I'm telling you. I'm telling you wisdom about who you are and who I am and how it is between us. And um, verse 57 is great because it shows the progression. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, they'll live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven. And whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And I'll raise him up in the last day. What a promise, right? Because we live after the crucifixion and the resurrection, we get it. For us, you know, who have um, believed and been filled with the Holy Spirit, something rises up inside of us and says, yes. But the folks who were listening didn't get it. And they said, I mean, they're still stuck on yesterday and the bread he gave them. And the bread they're hoping will show up today right? And they're, and they're saying to him, eat his flesh, drink his blood, and they're thinking cannibalism, right? They are grossed out. The word in Greek here is scandalizo. They were scandalized. They were sickened by this. They thought it was so gross. Um, and they turned away. They're talking about manna, so they're back in the Old Testament, but they want to redo they don't want something new that God is giving them. They're not looking for the Messiah and all that comes with him. Um, I don't want to steal next week's thunder because we're going to be in John 6 next week too. But I will point out that after the crowds turn away, the disciples are still there. And Jesus looks up and said, you going to leave too? And Peter kind of, Peter the mouthy one, <laughs> Peter the extrovert says, where would we go? Now, he's speaking without comprehension. He's not speaking necessarily with a lot of wisdom, but he is speaking with faith because he believes in Jesus. He says, you're the son of God. Doesn't know what that means yet. Um, but that is what faith is, right? Faith isn't clarity, isn't deep wisdom. Faith is walking in the dark. We walk by faith, not by sight. If we're walking by faith, it doesn't necessarily mean sight, right? As a matter of fact, it means it not sight. And so in the dark, Peter and the other apostles keep following Jesus. They're like, we, tell us more. Give us more understanding. We want to grow in this wisdom of who you are. Thank God they did because they're the ones that passed it on to us, right? They're the ones that are why we know 
that we can have this wisdom about what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. Um, so he, here we see this prefiguring of the Passover meal of, uh, of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and certainly of the Eucharist, where it's his body and his blood that we take in and are fed. The body of Christ carries his body out into the world. We're energized by that, filled with his spirit to do the work he's given us to do, right? To love and serve him. We say that every week. Um, when we eat something, remember I said we well, human beings have to be filled, right? We're always filled with something. So Jesus here is offering his body, his blood as filling for us as nourishment. When we eat something, we entrust ourselves to it. It, we incorporate it, it becomes part of our corpus, part of our body. And for good or for evil, once it, we've taken it in, it's gonna do what it's gonna do, right? So Jesus is saying, take me in, eat me, and I will give you eternal life. We sing this every Sunday, we sing, um, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast, hallelujah, right? Uh, so this is true wisdom. Eating the body, drinking his blood, being filled with his Holy Spirit that gives us life, receiving him by faith, because we still don't have sight for all of this, right? He's ascended, he's back in heaven. Um, so this is where the scripture for today has brought us. It's, it's brought us to the table, it's brought us to the altar, and to the living bread, the living wine, so let's be wise, let's sing, let's give thanks, and let's eat. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.